This podcast was produced in association with FunEmploymentRadio.com. Ah, the sweet, sweet sounds of a classic arcade. Greetings once more, nerds, geeks, and gamers, and welcome to the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. It is Tuesday, October 24th, 2017, and I've been exhausted. This weekend was the 12th annual Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and I went all three days to try to soak in as much as I could stand. I got to spend some time chatting with my buddies, reconnecting with old contacts, and making some new friends as well. Today I'm going to run through some of my experiences to hopefully whet your appetite and convince anyone that missed out to seriously get their lives in order and be there next year. Today I'm also going to let my racing nutjob flag fly high and proud as I rip into Gran Turismo Sport on PS4. I have been waiting a long while for this one, but did it check all of the boxes? Or is it the complete disappointment I was expecting? Only one way to find out. All that's left now, though, is the usual reminders to do your part. Like and follow the podcast on Facebook and Twitter using at WagPodcast. And keep those cutesy-wootsy pictures of little kittens dressed up as Link coming by emailing them to wagpodcastpdx at gmail.com. probably shouldn't laugh anymore. This is the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast. So, right from the top, the Portland Retro Gaming Expo. First, I have to give a massive, massive thanks to the PRGE team for granting me a press badge. This was the single best expo slash con I've been to. It had an unrivaled amount of gaming history, art, collectibles, rarities, and interesting people. There was tons of space, tons of people. It was a little lighter on Sunday, which was nice, but man, just tons of panels and personalities like... They had the Metal Jesus Rocks team there from YouTube, Ben Heckendorn, the superstar modder, console aficionado, uh, pinball table builder. <laughs> there was artists from the golden age of box covers and a bunch of other YouTube and streaming folks. I mean, there was just so many games. There's games to play. There's hundreds of like Mostly classic arcade games, a great broad example of almost every game I could think of, or or at least the genre were on display and free to play as well. They had, I mean, anything you think of, racing, fighting, and brawlers, shooters, and shmups, and pinball machines galore. Also, every single console and game you could imagine as well. There was everything from Atari, NES, and Sega, Super Nintendo, through Xbox and PS2, and Saturns, Sega Saturns everywhere. There was even a God, like a six way Bomberman tournament (laughs) set up on one big flat screen. That was amazing. Just great to see. 
Aside from that, there was also a whole vendor area where there was just thousands and thousands of games to buy. I mean, there were so many vendors and most were selling games from, I mean, every booth you would walk up to had games from every console you could think of. All the portables, all, I mean, just even stuff I'd never even heard of or seen before. There was also a museum area with games just to admire, but um, the museum had hundreds of game boxes that they had posted up, all these old Atari cartridges. But then there was also like super rare ones. Like they had stuff that, that had been dug up out of that um, that massive dump site that they found all the E.T. cartridges in. Um, some of the dirty old porn games, like prototypes for stuff that were either never released or were on the verge of release. I mean, early, early prototypes and betas of stuff. There was even a an NES dev kit or a dev console like on display there. Just so many things to see. The schedule for the whole event overall, Friday was basically the arcade only. So the arcade was all the um, upright console um, arcade games. You've got all the pinball games. There was, oh my God, like, I don't know how many, basically every Star Wars arcade game ever. So all the old like wireframe ones from when the movies came out originally to up to date, like brand new, the, the pods, the competing pods, like sit down 3d game. There was the new pinball table that I had played at ground control, but God, there was like eight of them. (laughs) It was crazy to see. But with that Friday, it was the arcade only. So from open to close, all those games that were set up on free play, I mean, all the consoles that they had set up, they were running like Battlefront 2 on an Xbox. They had 16 of those, I think, set up around a big, massive table. It was crazy. And you could just stay there and play all day long. Saturday was the first full day of the whole expo. So full access to everything. That's when the panels started up. That's when um, the whole vendor side was open finally as well. So that's when I got to go to the Metal Jesus Rocks panel. I checked that out for that probably like half an hour. They were just doing like a, a Q&A segment. I kind of expected, you know, more along the lines of what the the, the YouTube channel is all about, like talking about classic gaming and the, some of their collections and stuff. But it was cool to see the guys. I mean, the whole crew was there, all like six of them or whatever it is now. And just hearing their little behind the scenes, I mean, stories from places they've been, things they've done. It was, it was neat to check out. From there, I got to see a couple of my buddies, Todd Werkhoven. He's been on the podcast. He's one of the hosts of the Portland at the Movies podcast and the Mark and Todd cast. He was there in sharing a booth with the Unipiper, who is Portland's number one favorite celebrity, <laughs> according to Willamette Week's um, reader poll, which is very exciting. So he was like the, oh, the mascot, (laughs) I can almost say, of the whole expo. Because at any given time throughout the day, you might hear the sound of bagpipes ringing through the halls. (laughs) It it was funny because the first time I heard him, I didn't see him. I just heard the bagpipes like, oh, I know who that is. So it was very cool to finally get to meet him in person. They've got all kinds of cool merchandise, t-shirts, and now like knee-high stretchy socks and 
the the one thing that was pretty cool is it was a, a vendor table now for them too. So Todd was selling his notebooks that he makes from old VHS covers and um the Unipiper also had, besides all his branded stuff, he had like bins of old classic toys. And that was actually one of the most popular things is people would come up and just dig through those and find stuff. And it was funny to see some of the same toys that I still have kicking around in bins as well as, and then seeing stuff that I'd never seen before, didn't even know existed, but it was pretty neat overall. And again, great to check in with Todd and this was a, a newer experience for him, I think too. I don't think he had done the video game expo before or a video game expo like that before. So it was kind of a different crowd. Um, and it is, it's, it was a different group of nerds. I mean, as we would expect, like then the Rose city group, um, nothing like drastic, but it was, it was just a, a different, different kind of vibe, I guess it was, it was weird in a good way. I spent the rest of the time, um, I caught up with um, Dylan from Ground Control too, and, and poor Dylan, he was running pretty ragged because this whole week and leading up to this, I mean, God, the probably the month leading up to this, he's just been running around endlessly trying to get prepared for all of this stuff, and now that it was actually there, I'm sure there's a little bit of relief, but man, I'm sure it was long hours, and he was having a hell of a time with it, like, he was enjoying himself and just had that nice moment of reflection of like, yeah, it's exhausting, but man, what is life right now? Like, look at, look at what I'm doing. Look where I am. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, later this week, I'll have Dylan back on as well. And we're going to get his takeaways from the whole expo and see what else is going on with himself and ground control and all the goodies. From there, I just kind of spun around in the vendor side, checking out all the different booths, seeing what was out there. And like I said, there was just a huge layout. Everybody had tons of stuff for sale. The one thing that's weird about it is this is more like, I don't know, full retail prices for these classic games. Like you could pick up, what was the one I was looking at? Like the Nintendo 64 um, Legend of Zelda games. Those were going for like 40 to $60. And to me, that's hard to to go for. But for the completionists out there, for people that don't have the time and opportunity to go out and search all the swap meets and the yard sales and etc. It's a pretty good opportunity to get the things that are missing from your collection or things that are really hard to find. Then there was also crazy stuff. Like I, I took a picture of it cause it was, it was the most bananas thing I saw the original snatcher for Sega CD in a case under lock and key with its original case and manual and everything. Six, hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> oh the freaking uh i don't even know i don't even know what to say what the, what do you call that that's just the the words escape me pick my job off the floor it was crazy i <laughs> i hope nobody out there is willing to spend that much for it but i know there's going to be somebody sunday then was kind of the wind down that's when everybody was really <laughs> Showing how tired they were. Every day the show started at 10 is when the doors open. And for the arcade itself, that stayed open until 10 p.m. So, I mean, that's a full 12-hour day for anybody that's working those. And then on the the vendor side, that was just, I think, everything wrapped up by 5 p.m. So it wasn't too bad. But then 
this is where you get some of the better deals when everybody's looking at how much stuff they have to box up and ship home or whatever they have to do. They're going to make some bargains. And there's definitely deals to be had out there. I mean, bundling up, buy two or three games and save a few bucks. Or one kid that I ran across, he was looking for a place to plug in a wheel that he had bought. And it was the, God, what is it? Like a, a Thrustmaster it was like the PS3 wheels, the one that I had before um, the the one that I have now. No, it was a Logitech because I've got the Thrustmaster now. Anyway, he was he bought it from one of the booths and they said, here, here's a bag for, he said, I think a dollar or five dollars, whatever you can fit in the bag is yours. So he grabbed this whole wheel and pedal setup that I, God, I don't know how much I, I paid for that thing. I think I paid like 300 originally when it was brand new, but it's like a generation behind now. But yeah, he got that thing for one to $5. And the only thing that was missing was a charger. So that was his kind of, or not a charger, but a um, AC adapter. So that was his adventure now is to try to find an AC adapter that would work. So I don't know if it ended up working for him, but that was pretty outrageous. Like I said, there's crazy deals to be had out there. Um, my buddy Max ended up coming through on Sunday as well and bought, got 16, 17 games, just random, a random assortment of a little bit of everything from all these different consoles. NES I saw on there. He had like a, a couple Dreamcast games, I want to say just everything and for about a hundred dollars. So, I mean, not a bad average and for a few classic titles and then like a few oddballs just to kind of round out his collection because he is one of those collectors from there on sunday i mean just kind of checking in again with todd and dylan but i also got to meet doug from limited run games he's one of the co-founders and very awesome guy i got the chance to just kind of bs with him across the table for a little bit it wasn't really set up to do interviews and stuff. So I'm going to get in touch with him hopefully, and we'll get something set up, do like a Skype call or whatever. But talking to him was very interesting because limited run games, they are a newer thing that's developed with um, a lot of the indie games that have come out over the last few years. They never get any physical release. They are digital only and it's easier for them to go that way. But for the collectors out there, what do you do? Well, here we are. Limited Run Games, they put together um, exactly that. Limited Run Productions of a physical disc or like with the Vita, the little chippies that come with them. And looking at their website right now, they've got only a few games that are pending release. And looking at, let's see, this is La Mulana EX coming for Vita soon in 17 days. Only 4,800 copies worldwide. I mean, that that says it all right there. This, this is very limited. The one that I got from them before, this is a while back, I got the Retro City Rampage. I bought the physical edition of that and that was pretty sweet. It's, I mean, it's like a full retail package. It's the, the proper blue case with all the labeling and everything down to all the nitty gritty details. It's very nice, very well set up. And in talking to Doug, it's, a, it's more than just a business for him. It's something that he is legitimately passionate, passionate about. And 
going out to these expos and being literally the person there is his way of trying to convince everybody and help them to understand that this is not just a business thing for him. This is something he is personally invested in and passionate about. So very cool, like I said, to talk to him. Look forward to talking to him some more about all of it, the process and history of the company. Um, from there, I went and got to check out that museum where all the old consoles and and memorabilia and like they had the little demo stations for like every console generation they had (laughs) my favorite guy uh of the whole thing the um the guy that has the super nintendo slash playstation whatever the heck it's called it's like this this weird footnote in video game history where Sony and Nintendo were working together on like a next generation console back before the Nintendo 64 and the PlayStation were a thing. So between the two of them, they made a few prototypes and there is this one that's a a Sony, what's like a Nintendo PlayStation basically. It's got a disc drive on the front of it. It runs Super Famicom carts with Super Nintendo controllers but like I said, it's got a disc drive on the face of it. And from talking to the owner, it doesn't play any PlayStation games. I think it was just like a, can we cram all this stuff in a box that doesn't look terrible type of stage in the development. And it's got like a full functioning Famicom, Super Famicom, SNES chipset inside of it. So it runs all those games from that generation. But the owner himself, I believe the story was... This is all just from memory. I haven't fact-checked any of this, but the the older guy had worked for one of the companies involved. I don't know if it was Sony or Nintendo or whatever, but one of these prototypes just kind of fell into his hands, on into his lap. They said, here, I we don't need this. It's it's just a thing. It's It fit, popped and fizzled out, whatever. So he took it, had it, didn't really, I don't think, give really two thoughts to the thing itself and how important it could be or would be or is nowadays and kind of just stashed it away. And eventually his son found it up in their attic and said, holy shit, what is this? And he kind of got the story and did his research and said, holy crap, this is an amazing, like I said, footnote in video game history that nobody knew even existed at that point when he pulled it out. So they were kind of rumors and stories about it but he literally had the working console like in his hands so pretty insane story and now his dad is so salty and just over it and it's fantastic to talk to him because he's got great stories and just like a raspy personality and oh it was it was fun it was great talking to him and and i hope that's what i end up being like when i get to be his age just just over it just in general but still going out and doing the 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 show the uh kind of like the rotation they they travel to a bunch of different expos and shows and stuff because they do want to get out there and, and share this console with everybody because like i said they they understand the son i think definitely understands and the dad gets it he's like yeah it's a thing people are into it so here i am i want to i want to be able to share it but yeah it was it was cool to see cool kind of put hands on got a couple pictures of it so i can stash that away and say i was there but (laughs) definitely a cool little run in talking to him 
A couple of things that I did miss out on, though, like all the other panels, there was a, a, a handful that I wanted to go to. There was a lot of people that I just I don't follow, like a lot of the streamers and YouTubers and stuff that I mean, they were all packed house. There's lines like the, the one for the Metal Jesus one. They had a whole separate like um, not auditorium, but whatever they call it, like conference room, conference area just for the line. So, <laughs> there's a whole room of people just standing in line to get into the room to sit and watch the, the presentation, the, the panel. So it was definitely well set up and easy to get into. Like when I got into the panel, I was at the kind of towards the back of the room, but there were still plenty of seats and people kind of rotated in and out. So it was, it was cool. Um, the one panel that I did want to get to that I didn't commit to was the Ben Heckendorn one. I, also don't know if he had an actual booth out on the floor somewhere because I I don't think in the vendor section there were booths for any individuals. They had an autograph table set up in the little museum area where people would cycle through if you wanted to do like a meet and greet type thing and shake hands, get a signature, whatever. But I don't think any of them had their individual booths. I know though that the um, a few of the, the people on his team on the the metal Jesus roster, if you will, they all have their own YouTube channels and a few of them, a couple of you have their own stores that they sell like used games in. So I know there was a couple booths where they were selling their collections. So it was, it was interesting to see, but like I said, I don't know if they had like their own individual booths because with Ben, I wanted to try to pull on his ear and get some kind of interview thing going, but Alas, I don't know what happened. Um, still somebody I want to get on the show someday. Come hell or high water, I will do it. Again, flashing back to the Unipiper. As I was there, I I mean, through Twitter and Facebook and then seeing him there, he's got a number of costumes now. So his main claim to fame was his Darth Vader getup. And he'd be riding around playing flaming bagpipes and doing the star wars theme song but now he's expanded onto all these different characters where he had a mario riding yoshi costume which was awesome to see there's a he had scorpion from mortal kombat series he has a link one and of course his classic darth vader there's also he has a sasquatch one of course because pacific northwest right but it again like on my way out on sunday i saw him like going down the hallway and he was playing the Mortal Kombat, the movie theme song <laughs> on his bagpipes. And as dressed as Scorpion, it was just incredible. It's such a funny damn thing. And it was great, too, because half the people, when he fires it up and starts riding around playing, like, people turn around like, what the hell is that? Like, who is killing a cat? Why is this horrid noise? Oh, it's, it's the guy. It's the Unipiper. Holy shit. And then... When he finished riding around and playing the song for the, the couple of minutes that he did, everybody erupted in applause. So he's definitely very well appreciated. And man, what an awesome addition. It's, it's great. It was a perfect fit. So good for him. Another couple of people I ran into, Sean and Garrett from Deadlock Interactive. You'll remember them from, God, that was like the second episode of this podcast, I think. And they were showing off their still running with their um, their VR kind of demo game, The Last Stand, where you throw grenades and, and objects at these little robots that are trying to 
break your power generator and then talk to them. They were at the pig squad booth. There was a pig squad was there with their, their usual kind of big presence. They had a, God, probably like a, at least a dozen games that cycled through. And I know they had different games at different times and different days. So they had like a nice rotating kind of spectrum of games that of people that games from people that they've worked with over the last couple of years, stuff that people have been developing and and showing off new versions of. So it was good to see a lot of familiar faces and games. And like I said, talking to Sean and Garrett, they've got some other smaller projects that, I mean, bunches of things, sticks in a lot of fires, trying to find like a good mix of all these different genres and tool sets and ideas to kind of flesh out into a, a full release game. So looking forward to seeing what they come up with down the road. As I said, I cannot wait to dig back in with Dylan later this week, and I'm absolutely going to be counting the days until the next expo. This was a great experience. If you have even a passing interest in video games, and especially if you've been gaming for any number of years, there's way too much to see and do in any small amount of time. There's tons of panels and guests to check out. There's, I mean, God, take out a loan for all the collectibles, the games, the art, the memorabilia that you just won't be able to resist. This is not an event to miss out on. And once again, thank you to the team for letting me be a part of it. I very much appreciate it. And I very much looked forward to next year and all the years as this continues to grow. I mean, like, like I said, this is like the 12th year of the, the expo as a whole. And yeah, there's, there's no stopping it. And now, for the moment that I have been waiting for, it's finally here. Four years since 2013 saw Gran Turismo 6 on the PS3, Gran Turismo Sport is here. It's real. It's the first Gran Turismo game to be fully released on the PlayStation 4, so we've got a generation leap, we've got crazy new graphics, we've got a new updated handling unit, um, handling engine everything's new and shiny but how does it all shake out in the end well for anyone still unfamiliar with the series gran turismo is a long-running racing game series that has lived exclusively on the playstation family of consoles since shit 1997 on the original ps1 with gran turismo 1 the series has always been known to push the limits of whatever console they appear on, and the series is also renowned for its insane collection of cars from everything from your mom's minivan to insane race cars that were banned from competition. The series delivers what many consider to be the best simulation experience on consoles, while still managing to keep the driving fun. It's much less arcadey than, say, Need for Speed, but still not as realistic or punishing as all the super serious PC sims can be. The series over the years eventually morphed into more of a, an electronic auto museum of sorts, as the total number of cars to be had topped like 1,200 in Gran Turismo 6. Many of those ended up being little more than variations of the same car, but still, no other racing game has ever come close to that number. Sales for the series are also monumental for the genre, amassing over 60 million copies sold through the years, and fans like me spend years on the edge of our seats waiting for the next installment, 
just to see what's become possible in terms of eye candy and realism. In the years between releases, many rumors and half-announcements of development progress were released. Talk of an entirely new game, a new physics engine, new and previously promised modes, and all new car models, because in Gran Turismo 6, man, like, many, many of those, I think more than half, were still leftovers from the PS2 era games. They still hadn't been updated. They looked a little bit nicer, but they were not new models by any stretch. One of the last words that stuck out of my mind, though, was that this is not going to be a full-scale release. At some point in recent history, however, that supposedly changed. This little factoid will be very important as we continue. Now, I didn't buy the game outright. I got it through Gamefly as a rental, and it's the first Gran Turismo game as far back as I can remember that I didn't buy on day one. I've, in the past, taken days off of work for the launch of of games in general, but Gran Turismo 6 specifically, like, I bought a brand new wheel and had taken a couple of days off, and I, God, I think it came out on my birthday too. So it was a crazy, like, event. So to not even bother paying for a copy should say that my hopes were not very high with this one. There were a couple of preview opportunities as the game was being developed. There's a beta that was enjoyable. I mean, overall, it ran for a few weeks. It was pretty limited in scope, but it was focused only on the online racing and probably stabilizing their netcode because that was a real sore point on the PS3 one. The racing was fun and competitive. The physics were fairly good. Still had that Gran Turismo-esque feel to them, but that's just fine. But that wasn't really a great delivery on the promise of an all-new physics engine at all. Now, fast forward from there to just a few days before the formal release, they released a demo that was also actually only playable for a couple of days. It was really nice to see how far everything had kind of progressed, and it was. It was a lot of fun to play, but very, very short-lived. Now, though, with the final release in my hands, it's all on the table. Everything fresh, everything stale, and everything that never should have been. To start on a positive note, why don't we dig into the visuals and the interface? In terms of graphics, these are the best visuals on PS4, bar none. But they're still, and I, I don't know, I feel like more than ever, they feel really gamey. They, it's like a, it's kind of an uncanny valley situation where it's just that little bit off-putting and everything just looks that little bit, I don't know, over-simulated. It's, it's a weird thing. I, I don't know if it comes from the lighting, because I feel like that's that's the thing that stands out the most for me, that everything is just too perfect in terms of like how the lighting refracts and wraps around and reflects off of things. And I don't know, maybe it looks nicer. I'm sure it does on the PS4 Pro and 4K and with the HDR on, but I don't know if it's going to make it look any more realistic in air quotes, but Overall, the worlds, I mean, the, the surrounding areas the on the racetracks, the, the skies, the 
the backgrounds, everything looks very well detailed. The frame rate is great. It's a solid 60 FPS all the time, which on consoles is definitely still a hard sell. Like, um, what was it? Project Cars could do it as well, but they, they had some other glitches that still kind of chopped it down every now and then. But I mean, in terms of like action games, nobody does that. Nobody pushes for 60 FPS. Racing games, though, they do because it's kind of a minimum standard at this point, which is very nice. There's also this... Gran Turismo is always... Not always. I can't remember when they added it. Probably in 5 or... 5 or 6. Maybe even 4. They added a, a photo mode. So when you're watching your replays, you can take... Like, freeze the frame. It gives you a free floating around camera so you could go in and take really detailed pictures of the the cars as they're racing and then they also had um different pre-rendered environments that you could move the cars around in and take pictures from any angle with nice like background elements and stuff i had used a few of those before in five and six to make like wallpapers for my my computer for my desktop so it's definitely been a fun thing to mess around with well now it's called the scapes mode and they went crazy with this it's a lot different because you're not moving the car around in a real 3d environment anymore it's this weird combination where they've taken a really high detail photo of tons and tons of places from around the world and it drops a car model into it that you can move around in like a controlled little area rotate do whatever you want with and then take pictures of the pictures turn out really really nice but that's where you really see the difference between the car models and because a lot of these pictures have real cars in the background and you immediately see i don't know what what i was talking about like with the uncanny valley thing so it's a really really well developed i mean God, to the point that it could be its own game. That's something I really think they should consider is splitting off the scapes mode into like a $15 game because I do have a friend out there that literally wants to buy the game just to be able to mess around with that. So it's it's pretty intense, pretty in-depth. One of the other great things about Gran Turismo games, in my experience, has kind of been the interface and the the menus and the way everything kind of flows and moves around it's done to like just a an expert level in this game where everything i don't know if it's if i would call it logical but just the way everything's set up everything's on the screen in front of you you go into different menus it's i mean it's almost like a desktop really when once you get to the main screen as opposed to just like start game and then I don't know, choose track, choose car. Everything's just, it's, I don't know. It's something that you have to experience to really understand. But trust me when I say that it's one of the best user interfaces in any game, especially for a racing sim. This is something that even Project Cars did a lot better with this round, but still nobody touches Polyphony. They're the developer. Nobody touches them when it comes to Gran Turismo and their their interfaces. Um, also, as always with the series, the smooth jazz on the menus. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing that you're going out and racing these cars, banging them into each other and making all kinds of noise and getting your adrenaline pumping. And then you get back to the main menu and it's just It's 
like such a weird dichotomy, but I, in a way it's like, it makes sense because yeah, you're out there getting all hot and sweaty on the racetrack. You come back in, you're just going to relax with some smooth jazz. Like, ah, it's so weird. And it just works. It's great. (laughs) Something, another thing to point out, the loading is really quick. That's something that Project Cars was having a lot of trouble with. The loading in, in Gran Turismo, it's still a console I mean, it still feels like you're playing on a console because it always will. It's not as fast as loading stuff up on my, my new PC with the SSD drive and everything, but it's, it's definitely better than I've seen in the past. Definitely faster than Gran Turismo 6, too. One of the other big things that they finally added that was available in the demo for you to mess around with, but now you've got the fully fleshed out version, they have a livery design tool. Oh my god! So, in all of history, in most car games, you get to pick from a list of predetermined, like, body colors, maybe, like, special models with different, you know, graphics and stuff, like, stuck onto the side of the car, but... If you go out and look at race cars online, they've all got crazy liveries, like different designs, all the different sponsor stickers that go all over everything. In Gran Turismo, you've never been able to do anything with any of that. You pick from the colors that they give you, and that's it. Later games in the series, like into 4, 5, and 6, I believe. 6, definitely. But um, you had more options to customize the color of your car, the color of your wheels putting on different spoilers and everything, but that was it. And you could only pick from the colors that they gave you. And the system in six was really a pain in the butt because you couldn't just pick any color. You had to unlock the colors by buying a car that had that color. If you bought a Corvette in like whatever Chevy calls their bright red, now you have that one what they call a paint chip to use to paint another car that color but once you do i believe i think you could use them over and over once you had unlocked them that way but yeah it was still a weird system and you couldn't just pick the color you wanted now with this one not only can you pick any color in the whole spectrum but you could also make different decals you can put vendor labels and sponsor stickers all over the cars there's even going to be a feature added at some point where you can import different images of your own. So I saw one thing saying like, yeah, go into Adobe Illustrator, draw something up and you can just transfer it straight across into the game, slap it on a car. So very interesting things coming out of that. It's something that a lot of us car nuts have wanted for the longest time. Forza has been doing it for a while. There's ways to do it with um, all the PC racing games. So it's nice that They are, like, keeping up with the trends, in a way. Now, that's the positives. That's that's the stuff that's just above board. Everything's great. Let's get to the neutrals. These are kind of just straight across things that were expected or are appreciated, but not game changers. So, the driving, the physics, they are still Gran Turismo. They're not... As realistic as, again, like the PC Sims and like Project Cars, but they're, again, not as just goofy and all full-out fun like something like Need for Speed. There's still, there's something about the way Gran Turismo handles that they've changed it a lot because the cars now feel a lot heavier 
in general. They definitely feel like they handle better and more realistically, but there's still the little gamey pieces that really piss me off because there's, it's like it's reverted back to this thing. And I talk about it a lot when I talk about racing games and the way they're, the, the handling works and feels. I feel like with the real high performance race cars that they've gone back to that weird thing that I still don't have a name for. And I, I need to talk to somebody in the know, somebody that actually works on one of these games to tell me if I'm just hallucinating this, but it's this thing where you reach the edge of control. And once you pass a certain point, the car just spins like a top. And it's not a progressive thing where it's starting to slide and it starts to go out. It's just instant, like on the drop of a hat. And it's super frustrating when you're in the middle of a race, you have no chance to like recover or save it. It's just gone. And again, like I said, I, I feel like it's like a, a shortcut in setting up the physics of the cars, but I also don't know if it's just me looking for excuses because I suck at something like, I don't know. But anyway, that's standing out for me right now. But overall, the driving and the physics are really good, really satisfying. Um, with the force feedback, the wheel is very heavy in the hand, which is kind of bad in some ways, but it's nice because it's cool to have a lot of force feedback. So when you go through a turn and the, the physics are like really pushing and pulling against you, it's nice to have that feeling. And there's lots of activity from the road. You feel all the bumps and little jerks that the car is getting. So it's, it's very nice. There's lots with kind of a question mark asterisk on it to do. There's training tests to do like the old license tests. There's challenge missions that you have to go through. There's a ton of those. And then there's also kind of like a turn by turn track workout section where each track has the, the course broken into separate parts that you practice a few times, you can get trophies on, and then you can do a full lap and try to beat the time that they have preset. Every one of those you do unlocks a car. It's been basically where I've spent all my time so far is doing those little side things because that's the only single player component there is, but more on that later. There's a good assortment of cars to unlock from looking at Wikipedia. The, the car numbers, the total number of cars hasn't been this low since like Gran Turismo two. It's only like 160 to 180 cars this time, which isn't terrible it's still, I, I think that's less than what Project Cars 2 has. And I think Forza went to the heavy end where they still have like five or 600 cars in their catalog. So it's definitely a, a, a what do you call it? Like a low, a low showing. Like they didn't bring much to the table in, table in that regard. And as well as the tracks too. There's barely any tracks in this game for some reason. There's none of like the famous Gran Turismo tracks that we've all been used to. Like there's courses that have been part of Gran Turismo since the first one that they always just have like a new version of it. It's always interesting to see, Oh, what's it going to look like on this console generation? Well, now they're all gone. So it's a little, little weird. Like, and the, the real world world courses that they have, they've always had kind of a certain set of courses. And now most of those are gone as well. There's some new ones mixed in. There's new original tracks that are thrown in here, but it's just odd to see so many favorites and so many well-known tracks that are just gone with no reason. The ones that are there are good. They're fine. The assortment is 
decent. It doesn't feel like there's a lot and there's not a lot of tracks that I look at and say, oh, I want to drive that. So it's, like I said, neutral. I haven't seen any real glitches yet, but there's also a really good communica communications tab in the main menu where they actually keep you up to date with updates and glitches that they're working on, known issues, etc. So it's it's nice to see that. The AI and difficulty is still the exact same old, dumb, Gran Turismo AI as it's ever been. It's impossibly fast on lap one when you start a race, but then they all, all the computer cars drop to like 75% speed. Like they don't go full speed the whole time, which is something that Project Cars is much better at. They have difficulty sliders in Project Cars to set up how difficult or easy the competitor cars are. Gran Turismo has nothing like that. They have, when you go to the arcade races to race against like a full field of cars, the settings are like basically easy, medium, and hard. They're beginner, intermediate, and expert, which I jump to expert all the time because I've been doing this for years. And like I said, first lap, can't touch any of them. You might pass two or three cars and on a good day get like up into third or fourth place and you have to fight for it it's great that's how it should be next lap rolls around like as soon as they cross the start finish line they just drop off and all of a sudden right into first place i you could go from back of the pack on the second lap to first place all before the start finish line it's it's dumb. It's it's so simplistic. Um, I feel like the cars, the AI is more aggressive than it's ever been, which is kind of nice. They're also less kind of laser straight. Like this is a thing that I kind of saw on Project Cars and um, Gran Turismo has always done in the past is if you ram the hell out of the AI cars, they just kind of stay on track. They, they get right back where they were and it never really matters. And Gran Turismo was always bad about like, if you're rubbing against the side of a car and pushing them, they go nowhere. It's like hitting a concrete barrier. They just stay on their line, which is completely unrealistic. Now they've got a much better reaction system in where if you tap them the wrong way or ram them, they go flying. So that's been pretty satisfying. The tuning options seem to have been slimmed down a lot and God, it looks like they're nothing more than just a slider that per car you can spend points to upgrade what percentage of performance you're adding like to the horsepower or weight reduction. But in the old days, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go buy a turbo and you could be, you could pick from a few different options and all these different combinations of exhaust and intake modifications and weight reduction seems like all of that stuff is gone it's been really slimmed down to just a bunch of sliders more or less so it's it's not great or horrible it's just right down the middle it's it makes sense i think kind of looking at it from you know like a a neutral perspective so eh, it's it's a thing the online racing brings all of the standard bells and whistles and the newish rotating general lobby races are pretty nice. It's basically, I think every week they set a few races and it might even change to every day where they'll rotate it. But there's basically three races that you could go into where everybody gets to pick from the same cars. It's the same track. 
and it matches you up with people of your same skill level based on how you perform and you basically dive in and every 20 or 30 minutes there's a race ready to go and everybody around the world can jump in and do these beyond that you can also set up your own personal lobbies race, race with your friends set up leagues and do all that stuff so it's everything's there everything appears to be working just fine but that also leads into the bad 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 of this release number one it's always online that is disgusting in this day and age because from playing the demo there was some issues where since everything was online everything you do has to check in with the server if you change something on your car you back out of the menu it saves it to the server well if there's any issues with that connection you are screwed so in the final game now it seems that you could do a little bit more you can do the the single player stuff but there's the arcade races the license tests and challenges that's all you're going to have access to which makes sense because everything else is online but the saving is a big question because everything's saved online so it means basically no connection no progress i think the game saves stuff in the background and then updates with the the server once it does get that connection again but the first night i had the game i was playing i backed out of the the test that i was doing or whatever and it basically froze to a black screen because it a couple pop-ups said that there was unannounced server maintenance or something and it just kicked me out to nothing and basically bricked the console until i reset everything and closed i think i was still able to just close out the game but yeah definitely an issue now oh boy the audio <laughs> this is something i will i guess i'm gonna have to bitch about until the day i die because they're never going to fix it they're never going to do it right but i mean i guess it's better overall which is good they added like a lot of rasps and rattles but they still don't know what the hell they're doing because everything sounds the engine noises are still like really synthesized they they sound just kind of neutral in tone they're not like violent enough they're there it doesn't sound like you're in a race car when you're in a race car and something that i noticed today because i was just kind of messing around with things came to a complete stop in again a race car the car idling is so quiet it sounds like you're in like your your sister's ford fiesta or whatever i don't know it, it has no bass no resonance no anything to it and <laughs> sitting with this minimal idling sound shifting through the gears it's literally sounds like somebody hitting a garbage can with a broomstick as you go up and down through the gears in this again a race car so that sounds okay when you're driving full speed but oh my god it's so stupid when you sit there and do it because it's the loudest thing anywhere like in terms of like trackside noise because you could hear the crowd hooting and hollering and cheering and stuff you can hear other cars driving around but it is beyond anything else it's at 11 while everything else is at like a three so just stupid the audio like i said it's still bad it's an improvement but 
It just doesn't have the thrill. And still the horrid screeching tire noise 24-7. Everything you do, every turn you take, every car you drive, screeching tires through every turn. It's horrid. And unlike Project Cars, it gives you a slider to turn down the tire noise. No such thing. You're stuck with it. I hate it. Now, about the single-player stuff. Forever in Gran Turismo, there has always been a single-player career mode where you basically start with little mommy cars, weekend warrior stuff, where you race a few races, you get some money, you buy a sportier car, you gain access to these higher and higher and higher tiers of racing until you're all the way at the top with like Formula One cars and Bugatti Veyrons and crazy stuff. All completely gone. Just completely thrown out, gone, not a part of this. We never did that. Don't ask, don't tell. It's horrible. It's just gone. The the biggest single player component, the thing that made these games so playable and replayable is just flat out gone. So that's where other theories start to come up, which I'll, I'll cover in a little bit here. From there, there's that kind of handling glitch that I talked about. There's rally racing, which, I mean, it's just, weird like off-road tracks because they're not like real rally racing where you're driving through tiny little roads that are barely wide enough for one car these are like four-lane highways made of dirt that have nice like ups and downs and left right and turns and hairpins and stuff but it's just not done right at all like the traction model on it is very bad like you could drive any car out there and it doesn't matter how it handles. It doesn't change anything with the handling. Like you could drive a rear wheel drive FRS, say like the little Scion car and then jump into an actual four wheel drive rally car. And they both feel exactly the same. It's stupid. It's bad. It's dumb. It's kind of fun for a little bit, but eh, nothing, nothing, nothing really like to write home about. And especially when other games are out there like dirt rally, dirt four, like that's, that's where you stick to. And Maybe they know it, and that's why, but it's it's poopy. Again, very short on tracks as well. Um, I mean, the useless dirt tracks, even like adding those in, this, the list is still pretty short. But yeah, take those out, and God, there's like 10. <laughs> and again, the, the missing original tracks. Oy. I mean, looking forward long term, there's nothing really interesting in the game right now. Like, once you build up all the credits and the mileage and stuff to start unlocking new cars. There's not really anything there. And once you figure out what the fastest cars are, because Gran Turismo is notorious for that. Once you get online, you'll see that the leaderboard leaderboards are dominated by specific cars. There will be one car that's fastest on whatever race or track or what's it in every tier of the cars. And that's it. That will always be the fastest car. There's nothing anybody can do about it and nothing changes it. There's a, there's supposed to be a balance of performance and there is, there's a slider in there, but it doesn't change anything. It doesn't make it more fair. These cars are not equally matched and they never have been and looks like never will be. So that's just an issue consistently with Gran Turismo overall. But again, if that's the case, I'm just going to buy the fastest car and then the other ones are just there. I don't care. I don't need them. I'm why, why bother? It's, it's a weird thing. Um, this game is also heavily pushed towards the online racing, 
Because, like we all know, single-player games don't work in 2017, right? I mean, Horizon Zero Dawn was a terrible game that didn't sell any copies, right? Right? In terms of VR, I still have my um, PSVR, so I did fire it up, and I finally got to play Gran Turismo in VR, and it's just okay. The visuals are pretty blurry. They remind me a lot of what Drive Club did, and that was like a VR launch title. Um, Overall, everything's like stripped down to nothing, and there is severe pop-in for objects on like the side of the tracks where it's not even like long distance it's stuff that's just right there off the side of the track and just pops in just everywhere gross um it's also only 1v1 but you can race on all of the tracks they are though locked behind level progression so you have to upgrade through doing other races and gaining experience to unlock all of the tracks so I guess it's something to work towards because the Nürburgring, the the biggest hellish track of all of them, it's 13 miles long over in Germany. And it's like any like mountainous country road you've ever driven on. And it's a crazy racetrack, but that's like the pinnacle. And that's like level 20. And then I think in the three or four days I've been playing it, I'm at 11. So it'll be there. I'll be there quick. And that's going to be the last of it. Um, there's also like a gallery mode where you can look at the car models and kind of not walk around them, but move the camera around them and look at the outside. You can turn the lights on and off and that's it. From there, there's nothing else to do in VR. You only get to do the one V one races on all the tracks, which are also like an older version of the game. I feel like. Because there's, there's things that happen in, in VR that happen in the beta that don't happen in the regular game. So weird stuff like that. It's kind of, I don't know, it feels like an afterthought. It's like, yeah, I guess we have to do this. So here you go. But again, no other modes, which is stupid. You, you can't race online. You can't do the arcade races from the main menu. You can't do tri- time trials at all. You can't even do the damn like license tests or practice on the tracks. Like nothing. There's nothing else to do. So overall, bottom line is this is not a full game. This is not a full Gran Turismo release. In the past, they've had prologue titles where it's kind of an extended demo of what the the next iteration is going to include. Originally, that's what this was going to be. At some point, they decided that you know, it's it's taken too long. You guys need to make this more of a fleshed out release. And it's turned into this bastardized thing that's so heavily weighted on the online side that that's what it should have been called. This should have been a $30 game with like the license tests, with some of the training stuff and call it Gran Turismo Online. Because as it stands, there's, again, like no single player content. You've got half of a game. This is the same thing that happened with um, Battlefront that everybody was so pissed off about. The game launched with like barely any content, no single player side to it, and just turned into like a DLC rodeo. Probably what's going to happen with Gran Turismo now. I can almost guarantee that there's either going to be loads of DLC you'll have to buy 
maybe they'll be free because they've been like pretty generous with that in the past. Or there's eventually going to be a proper Gran Turismo, uh, like a full scale release, like Gran Turismo 7 that I'm sure will be announced pretty soon. This title itself should just be like a spinoff, really. And like I said before, they really should spin off that photo mode into its own little $15 mini game. Looking at the overall for the series, sales and reviews have already kind of been dipping over the years for the series. This one will undoubtedly set a new low record for both. The reviews out there already are shooting at like a 75 out of 100 type of thing. This is three quarters of a game at best, and it shows in the reviews. Everybody sees it. Everybody's calling a duck a duck, which is nice. Nobody's really lying and saying this is a great flawless game because it is not it's nowhere near like i said a full release it's overall it's kind of fun it's something i'm still going to spend a lot of time in i'm gonna go through and finish all the the challenges all the the course trainings the license tests all that stuff i'll still do it because it's it's something this is like i said it's something i've been waiting four years for and i'm not gonna waste it the photo mode is still neat um but I don't know. This this is not a game for everyone. The The content is too limited for the price, especially. The online experience won't hold casuals. That's for like people that are more serious about sim racing, really. Like casual players are going to get on there. They're going to end up in rooms where everybody sucks. Nobody's going to have fun. It's just going to be bumper cars. Or if they get into higher skilled rooms, people are going to be too good. And if you're not winning races, it's kind of not fun sometimes. So the flip side of that, though, is it this the simulation side isn't tight or competitive enough for any of like the harder sim, harder core sim racers. So people that are looking for a real racing experience and doing the leagues and stuff are going to go back to Project Cars. Like that's the game that's got the realism that has like the real hardcore simulation going on as opposed to Gran Turismo that's I mean it is it's it's much more approachable and it it tops out at a at a lower level so I yeah it's just I don't think it's gonna make it at all it's it's stuck on the bad side of the kind of lost in between muck with no clear direction or audience and I mean at its worst it's less fun than like the worst Forza and it's also nowhere near as realistic, like I said, as, as something like Project Cars. And it used to be that, hey, you could have Gran Turismo. That's your PlayStation racing game that's like a really good simulation because there's nothing else. Well, now there are other things. There's there's Project Cars 1 and 2. So there is no more kind of like argument of, well, what are you going to do? Go to PC? go to Xbox and play Forza? No, there's there's other options. And that's, like I said, this is where it's all going to hopefully not die. Hopefully don't kill the series, but things like that have happened before too. So kind of final word on it then is if you're interested in this game, rent it or buy it at a steep discount, but that won't take long. So <laughs> be patient, keep an eye out. There's hopefully going to be a lot more updates and content put into the game. But for now, 
stay away. I, unless you're just really committed and crazy like me, but even like I said, I didn't buy the game outright. I rented it. So do the same. Take it easy with this one. Don't make the full commitment because you will not get your money's worth. And with that, I just need to say thank you for everybody that made it this far. <laughs> I'm like I said, I'm pretty well worn out. Um, so if this doesn't have the same energy as usual, that's why I think my voice is like completely dead at this point as well. But from there, just like I usually say, um, be sure to follow the show on Facebook and Twitter, shoot me emails and do let me know if I somehow influenced your decision on if you were going to get Gran Turismo sport or not. But with that, I am Jason Chevron Chops signing off. This has been the Well-Adjusted Gamer Podcast.